0: Good morning. It's Thursday, January 23rd, and you are listening to the College Football Daily, a 24-7 sports podcast dedicated to catching you up on and breaking down the day's college football news. My name is Connor Tapp, and today the day's college football news is some really intriguing behind-the-scenes reporting on the slow-moving gears of change at the old NCAA. But first, I wanted to call up Matei Siss of VT Scoop, to ask him about some disconcerting emails I got concerning the Virginia Tech Hokies. So, Matei, today I got three different emails from VT Scoop. I'm a loyal subscriber to y'all's newsletter and uh, I just want to set the scene for everyone by kind of reading these out so it starts at 5.28pm central time three Hokies enter the transfer portal 6.06pm central time another portal entry and then nine minutes later at 6.15 central it's capped off with one more portal entry making it five on the night so Matei I know it was a busy busy day for you and Evan Watkins and everybody over at VT Scoop. What's going on with all these transfers?
1: So today begun the offseason training program for Virginia Tech. A lot of players came back for school, which started on Tuesday. And a lot of the guys were able to meet with some of the staff members, kind of get an outline of mm. what their offseason routines would look like. Uh, and some of them had some hard conversations with some staff members Just asking, you know, where's my playing time going from here? What's my role going into next season? And the coaches were very transparent about everything and uh, maybe a little too transparent because, uh, you know, right after conditioning ended, after classes were finished, uh, it, it all seemed to happen at once. But uh, five different Virginia Tech Hokies entered the transfer portal. I believe it was within, you know, an hour of one another. So definitely a crazy day in Blacksburg, Virginia.
0: So these were all wide receivers, is that right? So there's
1: three wide receivers, okay. one defensive back, and one running back.
0: Okay. So at the at the time I got the the three in the portal. At that time, it was it was all wide receivers, I guess. Um, so what I mean is. I listening to the podcast you did with Trey last week after Justin Fuente opted to stay in Virginia at, at Virginia Tech instead of going to Baylor. Um, at that time, I detected in your voice kind of a sense of, okay, that it's, it's good that we kept Fuente from Virginia Tech perspective because 2020 could be a potentially big season. Is, is this a type of attrition, and particularly concentrated so heavily at the wide receiver position, um, that uh, could kind of jeopardize the big plans for next season?
1: I don't think it will entirely jeopardize the big plans for 2020. When you look at the five guys that entered today, Uh, three of them being seniors and the two wide receivers that were seniors were kind of fourth string, fifth string guys. Uh, There was a redshirt freshman, former four-star composite guy uh, that did enter today, and that one's a big blow, you know, further down the line, not necessarily for 2020. Uh, The running back, fifth string, sixth string guy, and uh, the safety uh, was a guy that got beaten out by a sophomore. So when you look at those five guys – you know, it's manageable moving forward. Virginia Tech was over the scholarship limit entering today, and now they're well below it. Um, But when you look at, you know, some of the attrition happening over time, even dating back to last Friday, uh, Damon Hazleton being the big name, a guy that caught eight touchdowns, uh, passes last year. When you look at attrition from a key contributor like that, that's when you start to raise some eyebrows and say, okay, maybe it's time to reevaluate our expectations but i would say in regards for today uh virginia tech doesn't really step back it hurts in in depth but virginia tech could retool through the transfer portal the same tool that you know now all these guys are leaving with
0: yeah and i think that that depth concern is maybe where you might worry the most about Virginia Tech because I, there has been so much transfer portal attrition and we're so early into the transfer portal era that it's a little bit hard to sort out, well, what's, what is just a sign of the way business is done now and what is unusual? Does it, does it feel like the volume of attrition uh, via the transfer portal for Virginia Tech... Uh, has been unusual or is there something going on in Blacksburg or is this or is the feeling uh, well this is just the kind of p- a p- thing you have to factor in when building your roster is that every offseason you're going to have a bunch of people who weren't in line for playing time end up deciding to leave
1: I'll be honest the v- the volume is kind of crazy Uh, Last year, when the NCAA transfer portal was introduced, I think Virginia Tech stole the headlines by having so many new entrants into the portal. And there was a big closed-door meeting in Blacksburg, Fuente relaying to the players, what can I do better, Uh, promised a cultural change. And I think now some of the players, you see these big events, Justin Fuente interviewing For Baylor, they're seeing maybe it's in our best interest that we look elsewhere too if we're not getting playing time here. So I I think the volume is a major concern, and uh, I don't think it's indicative of you know bigger problems surrounding the program. Uh, However, the the volume, the
0: timing of it, I think that's the biggest concern at the moment. So Matei, is there any? is is virginia tech done with the transfers or should we expect more in the coming days weeks months
1: i will say to all virginia tech fans listening right now cover your ears uh but i do believe that there will be a few more guys leaving both sides of the ball uh it's just the way that it works uh of course you see five guys leaving you think okay surely it can't be more but You know, I think a few more guys will trickle out in the coming days. And uh, when looking at Virginia Tech, you know, a lot of these guys that are upperclassmen, a lot of them signed to play under different coaches. Bud Foster left. He retired. Uh, And now there's new defensive coaches. There's some new offensive coaches. So I think that plays a big factor in it as well. But uh, there should be a few more names in the near future.
0: All right. Mateis is the co-host of Inside the Tunnel. Uh, Virginia Tech podcast, check that out at 247sports.com forward slash podcast. And of course, everything they do over at VT Scoop. Matei, thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it. The College Football Daily will be right back. You know, sometimes we talk about the NCAA like it's a monolith. And in many ways, that's because it is a monolith. After all, one of the primary functions of the NCAA is to draw heat away from the schools that comprise its membership so people across the country can direct their anger at four letters in Indianapolis instead of the university in their own backyard or whose degree hangs on their wall. But what we learned earlier this week is that there is growing uneasiness from some NCAA stakeholders when it comes to towing the company line on amateurism. A report by Nathan Fenno of the Los Angeles Times uncovered a 44-page NCAA document dated November 2018 that was the end product of a survey of 52 NCAA stakeholders. And here, stakeholders is taken to mean a group of university presidents and chancellors, athletics directors, conference commissioners, NCAA staffers, and more. The stakeholders are basically asked to do an SWOT analysis, which stands for Strengths, Weaknesses, Opportunities, and Threats. Some of what these stakeholders had to say is extremely mundane. The first part of the survey asked respondents to answer with what their perception of the NCAA's mission is, and they roll out tried and true platitudes like supporting the role of academics in college athletics and preparing our student athletes for their lives beyond the campus, yada, yada, yada. But in the opportunity section, there are actually a lot of people wondering what the plan is for the NCAA's role in esports. A control f search of the document conducted by yours truly turned up two instances in the 44-page document of the word sexual assault and one instance of the word violence. More on that in a bit. But an issue where there is pretty widespread disagreement is on the future of the concept of amateurism. One person simply asks, are we going to need to pay the players at some point? Another opines that, quote, it is a hard environment with these sports writers who think amateurism is ludicrous. I think there is room for the definition of amateurism to evolve. Another says, using the word amateurism is a loser long term. We are the only ones left who use it. It's a lack of credibility issue. We're using the word because we have to with these lawsuits. And there were a few responses that were comical for their tone deafness, even in the context of what they thought were confidential answers to an anonymous survey. This one says, I know people fear the pendulum will swing too far to support student-athletes' rights. That's too far to support student-athletes' rights. Fellow human beings, we worried that the pendulum will swing too far to support their rights. He goes on to say, how do we strike a balance so we are still mentoring, educating, and developing young people? Another says that the biggest threat is that the court system will force us to start paying athletes. And that will be the end of amateur sports as we know it. I think if we did a better job to show the academic benefits of playing college sports, it would take a lot of wind out of the balloon. All of the perks, like letter jackets, cost of attendance, ring, etc., The NCAA is, of course, facing a number of legal and legislative actions, particularly on the issue of student-athlete compensation for their name, image, and likeness. On that front, one respondent said, legislation adverse to our values is by far our greatest threat. Finally, today, a report filed late Wednesday night from Dan Murphy of ESPN says that the NCAA's Board of Governors plans to meet in a special session in the coming weeks to work on improving the organization's sexual violence policy. Chairman Michael Drake said the board had a, quote, robust discussion about the need for new regulations in that area during its meeting Wednesday at the annual NCAA convention. The NCAA does not currently have any rules that prohibit its member schools from accepting student athletes with histories or track records of sexual violence. Efforts to impose such regulations are informally called the Tracy Rule, named after gang rape survivor and victim's advocate, Brenda Tracy, who has been the unquestioned leader in the grassroots movement to effect some measure of positive change on this issue. For more on the Tracy rule, I encourage you to revisit our December 19th episode in which we interviewed Kenny Jacoby of USA Today about his four-piece investigative series entitled Predator Pipeline in which he identified at least 33 athletes since 2014 who have transferred to NCAA schools and continued their playing careers after being found responsible for sexual violence. That's going to do it for today's episode of the College Football Daily. If you appreciate what we're doing, please express your support by leaving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. It's not just a platitude that you hear at the end of every single podcast you listen to. Apple's rating system really does have an outsized role in determining the visibility of our podcast for people who are looking for some more college football action in their podcastual lives. So for Trey Scott and our producer, Tony Levitt, I'm Connor Tapp, and we'll see you on Friday for the next edition of the college football daily.